Welcome to Sound of Truth Weekly Interview, where we hear about how God is at work in people's lives and in the world today. We're excited you've joined us. Here's our host, Brett Marani. It is so good to have back Jeremy Stevens on the podcast. For our weekly interview in our previous episode, Jeremy shared his story and how he came to know Christ. I really encourage you, if you didn't get a chance to listen to that episode, to go back and listen to his. Really, uh, I had no idea your story, Jeremy, but it's one of these, what you might want to call more dramatic testimonies. And so thank God for his grace in your life and, and him working to bring you to faith and in his son, Amen. Jesus Christ. So, Jeremy, welcome back to Sound of Truth Weekly Interview. want to just go from your story to, oh, this almost be like a part two in this case. Sometimes our guests will, mm-hmm. will talk will talk about a topic or whatever. But I think in this case, we're going to maybe just pick up where we left off, where you were in college and you met your wife in college uh, as you approached uh, wanting to find a, a ministry You'd come to faith in Christ as a 19-year-old, and now you were looking for some some fellowship and to be with some peers to grow in Christ as your uh, Lutheran pastor wisely counseled you to go find some people on campus that were Christians. And uh, so InterVarsity Fellowship was the particular campus group that you ended up uh, affiliating with and, and being a part of. And so that's kind of where we left off on your story. And so why don't you pick up from there and tell us how, I don't know what years these were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like they... Like 95 to 2000. Okay. And, and it was during those years that you were part of a group affiliated with this ministry. You're like, what you were experiencing on campus with not just Bible studies together, but evangelism and taking the gospel out and ministering to people. You were going to churches and you weren't seeing that. Is, am I accurate with that? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's exactly right. You know, we, we started out, uh, trying to reach college students and disciple college students, primarily through the Bible, through uh, student-led Bible studies. We saw students being empowered to lead their peers and disciple their peers and learn about Jesus. And then, then we would attend the Sunday morning gatherings. And, you know, one started feeling a lot like the book of Acts. Like we read the book of Acts and we go, man, the way we're living seems very similar you know, not identical, but, you know, it's just like, man, it, it feels similar to what we're reading in the scripture. And then we would attend the Sunday morning thing and we go, this, this does not feel similar to mm-hmm. what we're reading in the scripture. And that, that was the beginning point of our journey of ecclesiology. That's how we got into, what is the church? <laughs> yeah. And it, it all came from that tension. For those of us who did grow up in church, there is, uh, the the thing I've talked about here at Harvest Jacksonville is there's a sense in which we need to de-church and then re-church. Mm-hmm. And so that's a phrase that I've used a lot here, de-church and re-church. We need to almost like deprogram our minds to think we've been programmed when we hear the word church to think certain things. But then mm-hmm. when you read the New Testament, it's not there. And those are the mm-hmm. things we need to strategically kind of strip away and get our ecclesiology tr- be, being truly biblical and not just traditional. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2,000 years of history that we've added on. In many cases, a lot of these things were practical things that were good when we added them, but over time they lost their, their function didn't, they didn't match the function of what it was accomplishing in New Testament terms. Uh, I guess that's kind of what you guys were going through, kind of a de-church type thing of, and then, well, what's it supposed to look like, what we're currently experiencing, then Mm -hmm. we're kind of Mm re-church into something new. Is that what was happening? Yeah, absolutely. It, it just took time for us. We were, we were concerned about being rebellious. We were concerned about being, you know, losing our way. 
you know, being mm-hmm. more into our ideas or even the idea of like people need to be more like us to the right. stuff like that always concerned us even from the very beginning. Like that seems wrong. That <laughs> seems proud. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we were concerned about that. So it, it took us a while to really even feel the freedom to, you know, put words to what we were feeling and actually say, you know, I, I really do think that church is this and mm-hmm. that, that it might actually be a departure from what we're currently seeing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it did take us a minute to kind of just work through, because we're also busy. We're busy being the church. We're busy making disciples, living in the city, doing tutoring programs, you know, doing all of it. It was very messy, but we're trying to do all of it. Like, you know, obey, obey the scripture, you know, and doing it together. It wasn't like, individualistic it was kind of us trying you know this group of people that were kind of discipled through university and then you know some of those people decided like man we want more than just the campus we want to see god's kingdom all over the place we want to do it with each other mm-hmm. so <clears throat> yeah that was that was the the origins of those conversations and there was a handful of us that were the ones who were kind of thinking about that like really putting words to it um brian sanders in particular was a guy like saying like let's try to figure out how to describe this and what do we really want you know do are we just really asking for some kind of style change that doesn't seem right mm-hmm. you know like oh a new style of music or something like that like to us that was like always distasteful you know, we might not like this music style but it, what does it have to do with worship a music style right and, and so it, that just took a while for us to kind of work through but once things started heated up we, we started feeling like okay we're not actually being asked by God. We're not being tasked by the Lord or the assignment that he's given us is not just to reform something, but that we need to make something that makes sense for our lives. Mm-hmm. So we're living as missionaries. We're living, trying to, to, to be the church in all this, these comprehensive ways, but we need to put the puzzle pieces together to where they, they make sense. They're coherent. And, and we, we said, you know, we, we should start something. And we were even scared to use the word church even at that point. We, mm-hmm. said we should start something because we, again, we were, we didn't want to be rebellious. We we're just like, but we need to, we need to make something that makes sense for missionary people. And the Sunday morning thing does not make sense for missionary people. And so that, that was our, our like, okay, then what is the church? And, and so from there, we kind of landed on an ecclesial minimum. What is mm-hmm. the minimum that has to exist? for the thing to be the church. And we, we kind of came up with the worship community mission, that little Venn diagram. There's others out there that have very something very similar. Um, some of them have more. They have like four or five or seven. Some people have 21, you know, um, but, but that's their minimum. And we would say everybody has to actually generate a minimum. Like what is the minimum that has to exist for the thing to be Ecclesia, to be the church? But for us, it was worship community mission that those three things is what the heart is. And if you don't have one of those, it, it might be a good thing, but it is not what the Bible means by, by church. And it also could have more things. It could have a building. It could have staff, but it doesn't have to have a building or staff to be the church. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's the idea of a minimum, a minimal viable product. Like That's what's the minimum you the have absolute essentials. You take yeah. one of these away, yes. it's no longer the church. Yep. It's yeah. kind of, and, the, and I'm always I'm careful sure to say it doesn't mean it's not evil. Right. We're not saying like worship and community. That's not evil. That's a good thing. It's just not church. Church has to have mission. It's, yes. it's about the purposes of God. If it's purposeful, you know, the mission of God, but it's isolated, it's just you. There's no community. So it's for Jesus and it's about his purposes, but you're by yourself. Well, that's not a bad thing either. 
you know, potentially a dangerous thing, but not a bad thing. It's still not church, though. Church isn't us. It's we, you know. Yeah, it reminds me that the three-legged stool, you got to have all three legs or the the stool's not going to stand. So, uh, Mm -hmm. and it's fascinating to me you arrived at those three because uh, obviously you guys haven't invented the wheel here with this. It seems like Mm -hmm. so many churches have recognized, I think there was a book that came out, I don't know, 10, maybe years ago or more, Simple Church. You're probably familiar with that title. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think they, that book kind of brings it down to ecclesial minimum of three. And you see this all the time with different ministries. They have different words, upreach, inreach, outreach. That's right. But Mm -hmm. it makes perfect sense to me because really you're talking about your relationship with God, worship, your relationship to other believers, and your relationship to the mission field people who need to know right. Christ pre-Christian. Yep. So um, <clears throat> mm-hmm. I, I love that. And we've adapted, we've adapted that here at, at Harvest Jacksonville. Although we moved the order around, we say worship mission community. I think it'd be helpful for our listeners at this point to go ahead and say who Tampa underground is. Cause we're talking about this journey to get there mm-hmm. in those in the late nineties and early aughts. But how would you define Tampa underground right now? If someone says, what is Tampa underground? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a two-part answer. One part is it's just a collection of organic microchurches. What we call worship community mission, we call a microchurch. Mm-hmm. The collection of those in Tampa, and right now there's like over 150 of them in the Tampa Bay area, that is the Underground Network. That's a network of churches, organic churches. And some of them are you know, really well established, and some of them are just starting, and some of them are kind of crusty and probably should die. and you know, it's, it's a life cycle kind of mm-hmm. stuff and it's organic and no one's strategically placing them. It's all kind of like, where's God calling you? Who's he calling you to, you know, should it be church worship, community and mission? So that's kind of our bell. We always ring. That's our tuning fork, worship, community mission. You know, we create diagnostics around that, but, but that's, that's the underground network. That's the churches of the underground network. Then there's a Part B of the answer is there is an infrastructure, there is an organization, there's a thing that's registered with the state of Florida, a 501c3 missions agency called the Underground Network that is explicitly designed to serve the needs of the microchurch leaders. Mm-hmm. So some sometimes people are when they say, I want to come see the Underground Network, they say, Well, what do you mean? <laughs> you know, do you, do you want to see the, the churches or do you want to see the infrastructure? Or do you want to see both? The, you know, sometimes they what they mean is I want to see your facility. Well, okay. I mean, that's the facility is just a tool that the infrastructure uses to serve the organic churches. Let me put it in in my words that I think will help yep. our audience because this is this this is fairly radical. I think a lot of people who grow up in church, I'm not sure they're quite understanding maybe what you're saying mm-hmm. uh, as to yeah, this. we're weirdos. We'll get it. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're with pride, my friend. So there was a book that came out. The name of the book is The Trellis and the Vine. Are you familiar with that book? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. All right. So these two authors talk about how, you know, if you're familiar with the trellis in somebody's backyard or whatever, it holds a vine. It, it exists so that the vine can have life and grow and not just go wild. And the trellis is there to serve the vine. It supports it, et cetera. In most churches, too often people emphasize the trellis instead of the vine. And sometimes they even mm-hmm. budget toward the trellis. In particular, I've noticed this is true. Many churches that are proud of their building, they have a historic building or something like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so then it's all about that building and keeping the building and et cetera. But the building is simply there to help accomplish the ministry, the life-giving ministry, which is the vine itself. And so yep. Yep. budget 
bylaws, uh, staff, buildings, all these things are trellis in order mm-hmm. that there might be life-giving ministry of Jesus, discipleship, evangelism, you know, whatever it is that's life-giving, marital counseling, anything that would fall under. True front lines ministry, the trellis exists to make that happen. Now, 99.5% of the churches in America, if not higher, the trellis and the vine are all together organizationally. But what Tampa Underground has done, and this is, I'm going to be asking you if I got this right, mm-hmm. is you have formally separated the two. You go ahead and say, mm-hmm. okay, this is our trellis. It's, it's the 501c3 organization, and it exists to support the micro churches, the network. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Am I correct? In yeah, yeah, yeah. We call, it a bifur- we call it a bifurcated org chart. It's, a, it's Good. one yes. entity, but it's, a, it's bifurcated. And so even with our governance structures, um, the governance structures are bifurcated. They have relationship. They're bifurcated. So there's governing elders who deal with theological controversy and church discipline over the organic churches. Mm-hmm. And those people do not run the organization. They don't hire, fire, do leases. They don't do anything. All they do is theological controversy and church discipline. They write modern epistles to church leaders who need help and discipline. The organization has a board of directors. Let me pause. Let me pause. Let me, inter- let me interrupt you right there just so that no, no listener freaks out. When you say modern epistles, you're going to get the accusation of a cult from some people on that. Like they're adding to the scripture. Yeah. No, you're simply using that as a metaphor for, for letter. How, yeah. They write letters. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, so Sorry. for instance, yeah, yeah. If there's a, if there's an accusation against the leader of a micro church, there would be an investigation by those governing elders and they would, you know, do a ruling like a Supreme court ruling. And they would say, you know, you're guilty of this or this, or you're not, or you, you stand, you know, they, they adjudicate. And then they write a letter kind of explaining that, um, either coming to the defense of the person or saying you're being you know, corrected for this. Here's a path of restoration kind of stuff. Here, here's the path forward. <clears throat> so the microchurches and the microchurch leaders, in particular the leaders, have agreed to that governance system. Mm-hmm. That's, that's how they're organically a part of the network, is that they've agreed to that governance system. No one micromanages them. No one's policing their microchurch. But if there is a need for discipline, they, they agree to submit to the, this board of elders. Right. Um, who are all microchurch leaders themselves? They're, so that's on the, again, they don't get paid for that. That's all on the organic, organic side. side. What 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 these other what these authors I can't remember the names. What they would call the vine, mm-hmm. and then the, on the yeah. other side of your org chart is what they would call the trellis, and what what you call what do you, the infrastructure? What you, the infrastructure, yeah, or the organization, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the the organic it, it does have organizational components, but it is not an organization, and we and we structured it in such a way that. The organization could go away. Like we're, we understand that it could be very vulnerable. Like you have mm-hmm. all these market churches doing stuff all over the place. They don't care our name. We're not saying the underground does has a youth microchurch. We're saying the underground supports and serves twelve youth based microchurches. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and yet if the lawyers really wanted to come for us at one day, they could, and they could liquidate all of our assets or whatever in, in a way. But but we said because we have this bifurcated org chart. We estimate probably about 80% of the microchurches would survive a catastrophic event to the organization because they're not tied. They're not tightly tied like that. And that's on purpose. Like we we want it to be free. We want it to be owned by the people. We want it to be democratic in that way. We want it to be distributed in that way. And and that's that's based on your ecclesiology and and your your understanding mm -hmm. of the priesthood of all believers, correct? Yes. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we, we actually believe that those little micro churches are the church. Mm-hmm. And if a thing is the church, then it has authority and it has agency and it has a calling to do stuff in the world. And who am I or who is this organization to usurp that authority, agency and calling? We, you know, it, it becomes like an authority issue. Like who can really hear from the spirit? Who has it? Who has been empowered by the spirit to be ambassadors of Christ? So like, we get into this weird thing where <clears throat> oftentimes we say the right words. Hey, you're called by God to be his hands and feet in the world. You're ambassadors for Jesus. But then we have no structure. We have no systems to actually support that language. So oftentimes we, we exhibit the correct theology and, and, and ideas and language, but we have no systems to back them. And so we default into hierarchical systems, or I have to get permission, or I have to get a particular degree before I could represent Jesus and the school system or something like that. You know, we just kind of hold it more loosely and say, is it worship community mission? Awesome. Yeah. Do what helps you be the church you're called to do. This organization is going to do everything it can to help you do that. <clears throat> so it's, um, you know, it's wild. It's an ecosystem. It, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a jump. So we do have a couple squirrels that are a little kooky, mm-hmm. you know, in the ecosystem. A couple, a couple of microchurch squirrels. They're running around. <laughs> you're like, <laughs> whoa, whoa, dude. <laughs> you're, you're really weird. Uh, and yet we do have enough governance, enough parameters, faith statements, agreements, covenants, governance. So <clears throat> we usually don't get into those. You know, people see... We're very empowering. We, we have this ecclesiology. We match it with theology of priest of believer. Then we have a system and, and like, um, you know, structures that are actually designed for that theology and understanding of the priest of believers. It, it sounds really reckless. It sounds like, you know, audacious, you know, but, and it is. And yet there are, are ways that we have tried to employ wisdom to mitigate uh, the, those risks, you know, um, to, power hungry people and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So all of that is in place. And it, we, we have really set out to be comprehensively the, the new Testament, which involves things like, what do you do with giving and finances? And I was like, mm-hmm. that's in the new Testament. There's data points to how giving should be exchanged and how there should be a receipt. Like, Hey, you know, this person is basically functioning as a QuickBooks receipt, you know, mm-hmm. like make sure the gift is given, you know? And so mm-hmm. we, we think we take that stuff very seriously. We want, we want comprehensively to be the New Testament, not just the fun parts. Like, go get them, Tiger. Right. You know, you're empowered. It's like, no, we want that also. Yes. But we, we want it comprehensively. <clears throat> so so we, that's what we've been working on, man, for almost 20 years now. <laughs> yeah. And, and you've learned a lot along the way. It's a process. It's a journey. It's not just like in the late 90s, you said, okay, this is our DNA. We're locked into it. And boom. Mm-hmm. It's generally true, but how you flesh that out has been a journey. Well, uh, we're, oh, absolutely. yeah, we're, we're out of time again on this and I didn't even really get to micro churches so we can do one of two things. We can have you back in a future date or we can uh, keep the tape running and then do a third episode. Yeah, man, I have the time. Okay. Well, I'll um, tell you what, let's, yeah. let's pause here t- and call this an episode and then we'll continue the conversation and uh, we'll, we'll make it a third episode. So uh, for our okay. guests, we want to encourage you to come back and hear the rest of this as we, and I, and I know we've been using a lot of terms that are maybe a stretch for some people, but we'll, I'm going to try to simplify in this next episode to talk really on what is a micro church and what's it look like. Sounds good. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sound of Truth Podcast. If you enjoyed it, please rate and review it. Also, tell your friends about it. 
Thanks. Music is by Canon and is used by permission. Sound of Truth is produced in collaboration with Harvest Jacksonville and is copyrighted by Brett A. Morani, 2024.